Well, I hope you had a good 2018. And uh, we want to welcome you to our first uh, church service of 2019. I was glad to have the Flickinger family up in the front with me. Glad to have uh, Eric's parents visiting and all the visitors who are here today, welcome. Uh, we picked up Cindy from the airport yesterday. She flew all the way in from China just to be here this morning. Well, actually for Southern, but... I did drag her out of bed this morning. She said, I f my mind is awake, but my body's asleep. I said, you need to come to church. So she's here. Well done. I, uh, I'm excited about this topic. I wasn't originally. It was given to me. I, I mean, we've been talking about the sanctuary, and I thought it's New Year's, and I have to speak about the Feast of Tabernacles. How's that going to work? Following on an excellent presentation last week on the Day of Atonement, and this feast comes about five days later. So um, right after the Day of Atonement is the Feast of Tabernacles. But the more I got into it, the more excited I became. So before we dive into God's Word, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we are so grateful that we have your Word to study and that we can understand more of your plan for us. Be with us now as we engage your Word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I, I'm going to bring out four lessons, and I'm just going to dive straight in for the sake of time. Four lessons, and the first lesson is the lesson of the tents. Now, how many of you love camping? All right, I see a bunch of hands out there, and I don't know why. Because, you know what happens when you go camping? I mean, you... Anyone have a good night's sleep when you're camping? I mean, there's, you wake up, you discover parts of your back you didn't even know existed. Um, it's cold, it's wet. I remember once when I was just a brand new Christian, they took me on a Pathfinder campery. You know what that is? It, it's, you, you go out there and everyone sleeps in tent. Well, we went to set up the tents. It was pouring with rain. This was in Africa. It hadn't rained for three years. That night it rained. And the rain came down, and we are setting up tents. The girls are sitting in the cars watching us, you know, boys setting up tents. We set up the tents, but we didn't do it quite right, and the water came in underneath the tents. And that night, it was wet. It was cold. We were, guys, we were all snuggled up to each other. You, we weren't going to tell anyone the next day. We were all snuggled up, freezing there. And then we got out the next morning. We saw the girls' tent was also underwater. We are like, at least we didn't suffer alone. We were wrong. They were in the cars the entire night. They were bone dry. And they were like, hi, guys. How did you sleep last night? Like, terrible. But that's what happens when you go camping. And yet everybody loves camping. Why? Because when you go camping, you make memories in the misery. <laughs> See, so when they set up the Feast of Tabernacles, and thank you, Carla, for introducing that to us in the children's story, if you were to go to Le uh, Leviticus chapter 23, I think I actually had that on the previous slide, so I'm going to go back there, Leviticus chapter 23, and it tells us why they set up booths. Now, if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, and you will see from verse 42, Leviticus 23 from verse 42, and it says, you shall dwell in booths seven days, that's what we heard in the children's story, all that are Israelite-born, we're going to get back to that, shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, why would God 
take them back, say, go and live in booths, and what they would do is they would make these branches, you heard about that, branches with leaves, and make it like a little tent booth, and they would live in there for seven days. Why would God ask them to do that? He wanted them to remember that in the wilderness, in spite of all of the challenges that they had in the wilderness, God was making memories for them. God was doing something special. Uh, this has stopped working. There we go. Yes, thank you. God was doing something special. In fact, what He was doing in the wilderness was He was letting them know that He was with them in the time between when they left Egypt and when they entered the promised land. And you remember how He was with them? There was a pillar of fire by night and there was a cloud by day. And when they made a booth and they sat in the shade of the booth, they were remembering God was with us in the midst of the wilderness. Why do we go camping? We go camping because we know there's a magic in the misery. And I want to suggest to you that God is telling us through these tents, through these booths, that God will be with us during the time when we enter the wilderness and the time when we go into the promised land. He's going to be right there with you. And I can guarantee you, this year, there will be challenges. You know, there was a, a famous book by M. Scott Peck called the, the Road Less Traveled. Any of you remember that book? And you know what the first sentence in that book is? Life is difficult. And I can guarantee this year that you will enter some difficulties. I know last year we were looking forward to, we're going to adopt this year, it's going to be amazing, we're looking forward to what God's going to do, and we had one challenge after the next. But throughout all of those challenges, you know what we discovered? God was present with us. In fact, I look forward from this time when they were in the wilderness to a time when Jesus came, and there's a powerful a uh, promise that was given in John 1 verse 14. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt. That word for dwelt simply means tented, lived or camped or in a tent among us. And it says, While Jesus came, He came into our frail human bodies. He suffered from hunger. He suffered from sickness. He hung on a cross. And yet, even though He was living in our tent, we beheld His what? His glory. Is it possible that God is going to take you through a wilderness experience so that you can behold His glory? Let me ask you a question. Where were there more miracles? In the wilderness or in the promised land? In the wilderness. That's what it all looked back to. He was with us. There was manna. There was, there was uh, water from a rock. There was a pillar of fire. There was, there was the cloud. There was, there was uh, food provided. All of these miracles took place where? In the wilderness, God is telling you, I will be with you in your wilderness. So here's the first lesson. In this next year, you will face a wilderness. That's a time of waiting and trial before God's promises are fulfilled. But God's presence and protection will be with you. I'm encouraging you, just like the Israelites in their tents could look to the sanctuary and see the Shekinah glory, I'm encouraging you to look to the glory and not to the gloom. Can you do that with me this year? All right, that's lesson number one. Let's move to lesson number two, the lesson of the gifts. When the Israelites would go up to Jerusalem, and thank you for that beautiful song, Dan, when they would go up to Jerusalem, they would carry gifts with them. Now they had to make their, their tents, their, 
their booths out of some specific things. They needed a, a palm branch, a myrtle branch, they needed a, a willow branch, and then they needed a citron. That, the citron came later, um, symbol of the fruit harvest. So they would take these gifts with them along with many other uh, gifts that they had received during the year. And so I said, well, let me look at these gifts. And when I first read this, I got a little offended, you know, because this is what I read in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. It talks about three times they would go up to Jerusalem for these feasts. And notice what it says. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, which became Jerusalem. And they shall not appear before the Lord, what? Empty-handed. And I was like, whoa, Lord, Lord, what do you mean? It's like, hey. If you're going to come to my temple, you better come with something in your hand. You better not come empty-handed. I was like, come to the temple, and you know, sometimes I give online, and I'm empty-handed at church. What do I do? You know, and, I, and I was worried about what this meant. It's like a threat. And then I read back. So we're going to read these verses in reverse. So then I read verse 15, and it's speaking about the Feast of Booths. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God, in the place which the Lord chooses. Why? Because the Lord your God, notice what it says, will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you shall surely rejoice. I said, they're coming rejoicing. Why? This is not a threat. It's a promise. God is going to bless you this year. Do you believe that? God is going to bless you this year, and He promises it. He says you will rejoice. Now, go back to the next verse. It's the verse before that verse, and here's what it says. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male, and, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. And I was like, whoa, not only is God going to bless me, not only is He going to bless my children, praise God, but he's also going to help my workmates. And then even more than that, he's going to help the church. You know, the Levites couldn't go out and work fields, so they didn't have anything to bring. So there's going to be a blessing for the Levites. But more than that, he's going to bless the strangers. He's going to bless the poor. He's going to bless the destitute. There's going to be such an overflowing of blessing. Got to get excited, yeah? <coughs> Everyone will be blessed. Amen? You know, that really was the last part of my lesson, but I'm going to take it now. Last part's on water. Ah, sorry, you can't have any. All right. So God says, look, I am going to bless everyone. The blessing is going to overflow. So at the time when this took place, what was going on was a tremendous blessing. I didn't do it. <laughs> it was a tremendous blessing. Look at, look at this. Desire of Ages describing this says this. The Feast of Tabernacles was the closing gathering of the year. It was the very last feast. After all the harvesting, the hard work during the summer, you're working the fields, then the harvest comes in. Last feast of the year. It was God's design that at this time, the people should reflect on His what? Goodness and mercy. The whole land had been under his guidance, receiving his blessing. So from far and near the people came, bringing in their hands a token of rejoicing. This wasn't like, oh Lord, do I have to give something back to you? 
He was like, whoa, God has blessed me. I can't wait to give back. Old and young, rich and poor, all brought some gift as a tribute. Woo. Need more of that water? I'm sorry you can't have any. <clears throat> used to be a Coke commercial when I was younger where they'd drink Coca-Cola and go, ah, but I won't do that to you. All right. <clears throat> so here they are. They're all bringing some gift as a tribute of Thanksgiving. Now, quite correctly, in the children's story, you heard about the Thanksgiving that took place. And this festival was really like the, the Thanksgiving feast. They would all come together, come to Jerusalem, and they would bring some tokens. So you can imagine them walking on their way, describing what God had done. The purpose of this festival was to bring their focus back to God. This is how God has blessed us. This is what God has done. And, and they would bring some of their produce. And can you imagine looking into the basket of the person next to you? Woo, those are big grapes. You had a really great harvest. Praise be to God. Would you like some? And then they would get there, and, they would, and there would be, the poor people would be taken care of. There would be a feast. Uh, the Levites, the strangers, everybody, there was enough to share. Because let me tell you this, when God is in the blessing, there's enough for everyone. And so here they are making their way up to Jerusalem. So yes, the first Thanksgiving was not on American soil with Native Americans and colonialists. The first Thanksgiving was taking place in Israel, and God was blessing the people. Can you say amen? amen? So here is the lesson of the gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Isn't that what James 1 tells us? And so we are to live with gratitude rather than grumbling or greed. The Israelites struggled with that. This was to take their attention away from what they could get and how they could give. Uh, I remember hearing the story of uh, uh, a man by the name uh, Pastor Frank. And Pastor Frank was uh, living in Germany, and he had an orphanage. And one day a lady came to him, and she was just destitute. She said, I, I just need one gold coin, one gold coin for my family. And he thought at how little money he had and all the children he had to feed. And he said, I'm just sorry. We, we don't have enough to give you a gold coin. And she just began to weep. And it touched his heart. He said, let me, let me pray about it. So he went into his room. He prayed and he felt, look, I have to give a gold coin to this lady, even though we can't afford it. So he took a gold coin, gave it to her, and she went on her way, very grateful. Two days later, he received a letter. She said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that today God will bless you because you bless me. I know the orphanage could not afford to give away a gold coin. And then he got in a letter that day, in fact, two letters, one giving him two gold coins and another letter that gave him 12 gold coins. And so he was praising God. But another miracle was to take place. Uh, one of the famous uh, estate owners had sold a portion of his estate, and he decided to give that money to the orphanage, and it was 500 gold coins. And so he wrote, I gave one gold coin, and look at God supplied back to me. This year, live generously. This year, live with the gratitude that every gift we have comes from God. And as we give back to God, He will give to us. 
So, that's the second lesson. The third lesson is what I would call the lesson of the Torah. And you heard again in the children's story how when the Israelites came back, the Jews, I should say at that point, came back from where they'd been scattered in Babylon, and they came back to uh, Jerusalem, they discovered that they were to keep the law of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so while they were there, it says the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, and they sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. Now, they had done so occasionally, just not consistently. And there was very great gladness. And so from by day by day, from the first day until the last day, something important happened. Ezra read from the book of the law of God. Now, here was the, the long-standing tradition that at the Feast of Tabernacles, at least every seven years, the king would stand up and he would read from the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And he would read the laws and they would think about the laws. And now when they get back from captivity, they decide in commemoration of that, let's have the book of the law read to us every day. We really don't know what's in it because since the days of Joshua, this hasn't happened. So I said, hey, that's great. Let me go back and see what happened in the day of Joshua to see how we can understand this Torah, the, these laws. So I went back to Joshua 1 and I discovered this amazing verse. And here's what he says. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, we're going to talk about it. But you shall, what's that key word? Meditate in it day and night. Now remember back then they didn't have any other Bible. They only had the Torah that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And if you do, look at this, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So if you want to have success this year, some of you have New Year's resolutions, right? You want to have success, then Joshua is telling us, you better go back, study your Bible, and especially meditate on the law. Now, I can just imagine all of your families, if you said, you know what, folks, for our family worships, we're just going to meditate on the law for the next 365 days. So you're going to go, whoa, whoa that, that, the law, it's kind of dry, it's boring. But, but I've discovered, reading through the Bible, that that's exactly what the Israelites were instructed to do. Meditate on the law. Understand your Bible. Understand what it means. And when you do, you'll begin to discover hidden nuggets. And so I have taken on a New Year's resolution, better or for worse, that I am going to be meditating on God's Word. I've already been memorizing. I have about a thousand verses memorized. But now I want to meditate. How many of you are willing to join me in meditating on God's Word? Okay, a few less hands. Some of you are still awake. That's a good thing. So here's the lesson that I discovered in the Torah. God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to His Word. As families, as individuals, we need to be meditating. And as we meditate on God's Word, and, and by the way, this word meditate, it means to make an inutterable grunt. That's literally what the word means. It's like when you, when you read something until you finally get that deep gut aha, like, oh yeah. You know, that's meditation. At least in this particular occasion, there's three words for meditation, but that's what this word means. It's just like, 
yes. Um, it's that kind of response uh, when you read the Bible. And if you're not reading the Bible till you get that, you're missing out. And the lesson of the Torah, as it's read at the Feast of Tabernacles, is go back and read your Bibles until you get that aha. So this raised the question, as I'm going through this, like, this is fantastic, it's amazing. So it raised the question for me, should we therefore keep the feast? Now, before I get to our last point, I, I felt it was important to deal with it, because the feasts do teach us incredible lessons, amen? And so maybe we should go back and keep the feast. And so I grappled with this, should we keep the feast? And then I, I read the end of Leviticus chapter 23, and in verse 38, I discovered... 37 and 38, it made a distinction between the feasts, for instance, and the Sabbath. Because I know the Bible commands us to keep the Sabbath, should we therefore also keep the feasts? And here's the distinction. It says these are the feasts of the Lord, describing particularly the Feast of Tabernacles, but also other feasts, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. But it says these are besides the what? The Sabbaths of the Lord. So I said, I, that got me thinking, what is the difference between the feasts of the Lord and the Sabbaths of the Lord? So I'm just going to give you a quick overview. If you have more questions, we, we can talk about it later. The Sabbath was instituted when? Creation. Creation. But the feasts were instituted when? Sinai, right? Uh, the Sabbath was part of the weekly cycle. So it came about every week, whereas clearly the feasts are part of the agricultural cycle. The Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments, whereas the feasts are part of the broader 600 or so on Torah laws that we have. The Sabbaths were kept everywhere, whereas the feasts, particularly three of them, were kept where? Jerusalem, and, and so that would be difficult to do today. The Sabbath, Jesus said, would be kept after his death. He said, you know, when the Romans came in AD 70, that uh, they would pray that their flight be not on the Sabbath. But Jesus is silent about the feasts. Uh, the Sabbath, it says Jesus, as his custom was, regularly went to the synagogue. He taught on the Sabbath. He explained the Sabbath. There's a lot of teaching on the Sabbath. But Jesus was sometimes absent from the feasts, and he doesn't say a lot about the feasts. The Sabbath, we're told in Isaiah, will be kept in the new earth, whereas in Colossians 2, it refers to the feasts of shadows of things to come. The Sabbath in Mark 2, is, was, uh, Jesus says, was made for man. Um, that's not just for the Jews alone, whereas... The feasts were required of those born Israelites. Did you pick that up when we read it earlier? And Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath in uh, Mark chapter 2. And uh, whereas we'll see in a moment that Jesus says he is the fulfillment of the feasts. Now I know that might not persuade some who say we need to keep the feasts. But I think uh, that to me the distinction between the two is pretty clear. The one continues and the other is restricted to the Jewish nation in a theocracy. And clearly where I see that coming out is when Jesus himself went to the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, here we just discover a powerful, powerful lesson. And I call it the lesson of the water. Let's just see if we can remember the other three lessons. The first lesson was the lesson of the tents. And that teaches us that God is with us. He's present with us in our wilderness. Second lesson, gifts, right? And that teaches us that we ought to be generous. God has promised to bless us. We are to be generous in return. Third lesson was the lesson of the Torah, right? 
that God is asking us to be faithful to His Word because of His faithfulness to us. And now this fourth lesson, the lesson of the water. See, it was the time for the feast to come up, and Jesus, uh, His brothers were trying to persuade Him, go to the feast, proclaim yourself, and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go because basically it'll bring about my end too quickly. So He doesn't go initially, but He does go up quietly, secretly, and he appears about halfway through the feast. They're all talking about him. He starts teaching. There's more controversy. And where we pick up the story is on the last great day of the feast. Now, what had happened is early in the morning, uh, a company of priests and some others would go down in a procession to the Kidron Valley. They would come down the mountain, and they would go, and they would draw water from the Kidron Valley, and then they would climb up the mountain again to Jerusalem. And there in the temple, they would pour out the water. And as they poured out the water, um, they would say, you know, they would talk about the blessing that comes from the wells of salvation. And, uh, and then they would hold up the empty pitcher, basically saying to God, you fill this. And Jesus is looking at this. He knows what this is a reference to. It's a reference to when Moses struck the rock and the water flowed out. Now, it, it, let's just break it down here. What does the rock represent? Jesus, right? Does Jesus get smitten? Does he get struck? Absolutely. So Jesus is struck, but even though he's struck, particularly before the cross, what comes out of Jesus? Water of life, the well of salvation. So the, the water that's going to feed the world. So Jesus stands up, um, and he says, did I just, he says, on that last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, why did Jesus say that? He's standing there. The people are looking at him like, what are you talking about? What do you mean if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink? You have a whole lot of water? He does, right? He has spiritual water. He's saying, but I'm this rock. I'm going to be struck. Out of me is going to flow waters of life. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Why did he say that? Desire of Ages gives us a powerful insight. Jesus knew the what? The wants of the soul. He knew that inside of each person was this desperate thirst. They had seen the beautiful lights during this time, Feast of Tabernacles. There's singing, there's dancing, uh, there's a lot of festivity, there's great food. And yet in the midst of all of this, people were thirsty. Here's what it says. Many of those who heard Jesus were mourners of a disappointed hopes. Many were nourishing a secret grief. Many were seeking to satisfy their restless longings with the things of the world and the praise of men. But when all was gained, they found they had toiled only to reach a broken cistern. That's, that's a water container from which they could not quench their thirst. Have you ever had an experience of longing for something only to discover it's not what you expected? Uh, maybe you had it over Christmas. Uh, maybe uh, you got that, finally you got that iPhone XS to excess, right? And, and, you, and, and, and it's good for a couple of weeks and then you discover it's really not that different from your old phone. And, and it doesn't really satisfy. Maybe, maybe some of you have been looking forward to finally getting through a degree. And you get through the degree and you think, when I get through that degree, I'll have arrived. 
But the degree doesn't really make you any happier. Some of you have even said, you know, when I get married, then I'll be happy. And we've discovered that marriage uh, makes you initially happy, and then you go back to about the same level of happiness or unhappiness as you had before. You know, these things don't make us happy, do they? And yet we have this thirst. If only I could have this. If only I could do that. My kids have been pleading, particularly my daughter, for a hamster. So finally, she came out of uh, operation on Monday. On the way home on Tuesday, we stopped by and we bought her a hamster. And that was, that was interesting because now every child wants their own pet. So my boys are always, can we have... Can we have one too? You know, and I'm just counting how many hamsters or gerbils can we have in one house? And, but it's just this idea, if I can just have that, I'll be so happy. And does God intend for animals to make us happy? Yes. But when you, if you make that just your only goal, is that the best thing? See, that will never satisfy the thirst. So Jesus, he stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And that's what I want to encourage you. This year, don't try and satisfy your thirst in something else. Come to Jesus. That's the place that will satisfy that deepest thirst. Some of you are looking for, for fame or for fortune or for friends or some kind of escape and fantasy or for fun, whatever it may be, or football. I don't care what all the Fs are that you may be looking for. But I want to tell you this. You need to come to the Father because he is the one that will satisfy your thirst. And then Jesus said this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, not only will you satisfy your thirst, but you in turn will be enabled to satisfy the thirst of others. And as this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. So I want to encourage you to join me to join me in making a plead for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Would you be willing to do that? Saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to take over my life. I want you to so fill me that I will be capable of pouring out living waters to others. Uh, it was 1904 in Wales. And uh, one of the pastors, uh, Pastor, I, I, I think it was Johnson, I believe, was uh, just praying, God, please help me because my spiritual life is dead. And he's pleading one night and he feels the Holy Spirit in the room. And he totally surrenders his life to the Holy Spirit. And he says, God, fill me, fill me now. He gets up uh, that next week and he begins to preach. And uh, as he's preaching, people can tell his preaching is different. This is a changed man. And one of the, the young ladies there is really touched. Her name is Flory. And Flory is just so touched. She, she goes home and she, she grapples with it. Eventually, she just lives a few doors down from, from the preacher. She, she makes up her, her courage. She goes and she wanders for an hour and a half outside his front door, just trying to get up the courage. Eventually, knocks on the door and says, can I come in? She comes in. And uh, he's like, what can I do for you? And she said, something you said today touched me, but I don't know what to do. And then she sits in silence for half an hour. And finally, he coaxes out of her, you know, what, what is it you need to talk about? And she says, I, I, I need to give my heart to God. And he said, well, let's start by just calling Jesus Lord. 
She said, I understand what that means, but I can't do it. So he talks a little bit more with her about what it means to accept Jesus. And he says, you go home and pray and let the Holy Spirit do with you as he wishes. So she goes back to her room. She shuts the door and she prays and prays that God will, will help her. And finally, she surrenders and says, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. Fast forward a week later. It's after the service. They're having a, a, a youth meeting just to uh, help them prepare uh, for you know the next stage of their journey so the young people come out and they're doing some bible class and then the preacher says i just want to ask you a question and the question i want to ask you is this do you know what jesus means to you and one kid puts up his hand and says jesus is the savior of the world good answer but not what the preacher was looking for and then flory gets up and trembling says I love Jesus with all my heart. And something about the way she said that, something about what was going on inside of her shone through her face. And that inspired the others. And soon people were crying, people were confessing their sins, people were coming and kneeling down, accepting Jesus. There was a revival that took place among the youth, such a revival that the entire church was changed. Such a revival that it got the, the attention of some of the close-by towns. And they said, will you come with your young people and tell us what happened? And so they went and they traveled and they started sharing this. And this led to one of the greatest revivals that ever took place in Wales called the, the Welsh Revival of 1904-1905. And it happened when the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of a pastor and grabbed hold of a teenager and led them to entire surrender. And through them... Others were blessed. I want to ask you, are you willing to let God do that with you? I love this quotation from the book Prayer. It says this, There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out His Spirit upon a languishing church and an impenitent congregation, a congregation that needs repentance. So it, it, the devil, what he hates the most is when God's people say, you know what, we are, going to, we are going to clear the way so your spirit can be poured out. Now, notice the promise. When the way is prepared for the Spirit of God, the blessing will come. Satan can no more hinder a shower of blessing from descending upon God's people than he can close the windows of heaven that rain cannot come upon the earth. He can't stop it when the way is prepared. So if we do our part, we say, God, I am praying that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me. Make me able to share your love with the world. When we pray that prayer, when we say, I surrender everything to you, what happens is we have to tell the devil, you better get your umbrella because it's going to rain. <laughs> Nothing can stop this when we determine to make that way. So here's the lesson of the water. God is asking us to drink deeply from the only well that will satisfy. And as the Father, through the Holy Spirit, fills our hearts, I believe revival will come to our communities. Do you believe that? Yes. So we have to open ourselves up to it. And today, as we're singing our last song, I want you to remember these words because they really describe what God is asking you to do in this new year. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. 
come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely.